Hello, this is Philip Norville Joe Carroll, author and narrator of The Pariah Podcast. This is episode 10, Waking Up with a Bump. Having earned a few extra minutes from being first to lunch, Keo's core relaxed in their camp. He called trainees Oakley and Beecham to his tent and waited outside to speak with them. I told you earlier that we have 12 girls in our corps. I think it's only fair that we have a link leader to represent them. Not that the girls will all be in one link. They'll be spread out evenly between the links. But to have one in the leadership might help with issues you girls have that boys might not understand. Kia waited a moment for questions and continued. You were watching the girls today when they got their uniforms. Is there anyone you saw who you think might make a good link leader? Oh, well, Trainee Oakley said, that's quite a responsibility to put on us. Identify a link leader from the girls. I don't know. Let me consider. Well, that's a tough one. She went on saying similar phrases as she scratched her frizzy orange mop and shook her head. Really, I think of all the girls I saw. I would think Beecham here is about the best leader I saw of them all. The other girl looked shocked and said to Oakley, Oh, be serious. The only girl there worth having as a leader is you. She turned to Keo and said, Really, she's good. She answered questions, routed girls around. She was the one. Don't make me link leader. It should be her. Keo nodded and said, Thank you for your thoughts. I'll think it over myself. I have to make the assignment tonight, before evening inspection. You can go. Keo returned to his tent and sat at the table with the list of names of the people in his core. He dipped his pen into the ink bottle and began to sort them into four links. From the capital, they would travel 300 miles to the Creature Handler training camp, almost the same distance he had traveled from his home on the apple orchard. The western highway stretched to the north from Henders Peak toward the northern manufacturing city of Ironton, though they would take a connecting road to the northern highway, bypassing the city and saving two days from their march. The northern highway traveled in a straight line from Ironton to the east where it eventually faded into the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, lesser mountains of crumbling volcanic shale, beyond which the granite wall of the impassable mountains rose to three times the height of the former. A gradual elevation gain over the length of the march would be so minor that it would go unnoticed and bring them to the training camp at the edge of the foothills. Keo walked at the head of his formation, his four link leaders spaced evenly at his back and their links stretching behind them. They weren't graded on their performance as individuals, as a corps, or even the company as a whole. Still, an underlying current of competition made each of the companies try to outdo the other. There was no prize for being the first to arrive at the camp, though every morning each corps tried to be the first in the staging area and given the honor to lead the entire battalion for that day. Keo sensed this competition and reveled in it. He stopped setting up his command tent on cloudless evenings and slept beneath the stars to save the course time when mobilizing in the morning. The greatest hindrance to rapid departure was managing the food wagon. 
Their unit couldn't march out until the chores of cleaning the campsite and the cooking gear and repackaging the wagons was completed. They had company latrine duty every fourth night and food wagon cleanup every two days in between. Most corps took it for granted on those days they would be at the last in the staging area. Keohe had believed that as well, the first time they had morning cleanup. Keo watched his trainees assigned to food wagon duty, cleaning up from the morning food service, while their fellow soldiers cleaned the camp, stowed their gear, and then waited for the others to catch up. Once their chores were complete and the camp clean, they marched to the other corps and companies already in line on the highway. In the staging area, the corps joined the parade in the order they arrived. The first corps in the parade from each company carried the company flag. The second time Keo's corps had food wagon duty, he instituted some changes. Those on the serving line left their tents and gear to be stowed by other members of their links. When the gear was stowed on the wagons in the staging area, half the corps remained there, holding a place near the lead. Other corps members ran back to the food wagon and began loading equipment and supplies for those assigned to clean. When everything was stowed and the cook staff happily yoking their oxen, Keo ran the remaining corps members to the staging area and got into the parade order in third place, rather than third from the end. Lieutenant Hitchmaker awarded them the company flag for the day. Keo congratulated the link leaders, who in turn walked up and down their links, complimenting them on their teamwork and performance. Keo faced the corps and watched the link leaders with pride. A familiar voice called from behind, in a not-so-friendly way. Kayleen, what can I do for you? he asked. You can relax a bit and stay out of my way, she said, familiar fire in her eyes. I'm sorry, I didn't know I was in your way. Aren't we all on the same road together and walking at the same pace? That's right, so I don't see what your hurry is to get into the front of the line. You had food wagon duty today. I should be ahead of you. I thought this was first come, first in line. It's just a little friendly competition between corps, Keo said with a smile. No, Keo, it's not. There are nine of us here who are fighting for attention. Our designates are watching. They're not here, but they have informants, telling them who is performing and who is not. Every time a non-designate third gets to the front of the line, all of the rest of us look bad. We're here to make an impression so that someday, in the future, we may be chosen to succeed as leader of our designation. You're a creature handler now, Kay. You'll be that for life. Do you plan to lead your designation with a tiger hawk at your side, or an armored dog, or a raptor wolf? Yes, Kayleen said, hissing between her teeth and leaning in so only he could hear. Actually, I plan to do just that, have a tiger hawk at my side. Can you imagine how my subjects, or rather, people from the designation, will feel approaching me to ask for favors or dispensations when I'm sitting on the back of such a creature? Yes, I know exactly how that would feel, Keo mumbled. Kayleen frowned at him for a moment, then said, I'm going to ride through the air and admire my designation from above, as few designates can. Besides, it's not unheard of. There have been other creature handler designates. Really? I hadn't heard of that. I guess this isn't just a friendly competition, Keo said, rubbing his chin dramatically. So, 
it could be to my benefit to allow others, perhaps specific others, to get ahead of me in the parade. I'm glad you're catching on, Kayleen said. I've had to defend you to some of the other designate thirds. They were getting ready to come talk to you, and I convinced them to let me try first. You defended me? he asked, raising his voice. Aware his own core could hear his conversation, he lowered his voice again. I'll tell you this, designate third Kayleen Grandage. You don't have any need or any right to defend me. If someone wants to get ahead of me in the parade, they will either have to get there before me or pass through my core. I figured you'd be too arrogant to listen to sense. I'm just trying to warn you, Keo. This isn't a game to us. You're going to find yourself in some trouble you're not prepared for, if you're not careful. You'd better pay attention. Kayleen stalked away. In the evening after dinner, Keo met with his link leaders near the company's food wagon. He had selected both trainees Oakley and Beecham, and two boys, trainees Stankner and Poltis, as link leaders. Storgant Vangold walked up and stood close enough to Keel that he could smell the other boy's stale sweat. You better keep your stooges around you, no shawnee. Not that they'll do you a lot of good when we decide it's time to teach you a lesson, he said, gritting his teeth and sneering, raising one side of his lip. I don't like you insulting my core, core leader Vangold, Keo said, unruffled, stepping closer and pushing the boy back with his chest. And if you feel the need to teach me a lesson, why don't you go ahead and teach me? Storgant looked around him quickly and unbuckled his sword belt, dropping it to the ground. Keo unbuckled his and handed it to his side. Stankner was there and took it from him. Three more corps leaders seemed to distill out of the cool evening air. The one was Kayleen, who hung back near the food wagon, watching. The other two walked up and stood to either side of Storgant. "'Who's that you brought to the fight for you?' Storgant said, pointing to the distance behind Keo. He wasn't about to fall for that, and said, "'You brought the fight to me, designate Terp. Did you bring these boys to make you feel strong?' The designate third frowned, stepped back with one leg, and cocked his arm to throw a punch at Keo's face. Keo had been in his share of fights growing up. Boys from the village mistook his amiability for weakness, but only once.' Strong, from working on the farm, agile and confident, the fights never lasted long. He saw Storgan's punch coming long before the boy threw it. He blocked it with his left hand and parried it away as he would with a sword and stepped in to drive the right up into the boy's chin. Before he reached Vangel's face, his vision exploded with bright lights and he dropped to the ground. He had been distracted and Storgan had another boy sneak up behind him. Keo didn't know if he'd been hit with a rock or with just a big stick. He held a hand to the back of his head, waiting for his ears to stop ringing. Vaguely, he heard the crunching footfalls of the attacker as he ran away. Poltai stood with his hands up, balled into fists in front of Keo sitting on the ground, swaying from side to side. One of the girls knelt next to him. "'Give it up. He's got girls to protect him,' Storgan said. "'Keep this in mind, Noshani.' You make my life difficult, I'll make your life difficult. The designate thirds faded into the evening darkness. Kayleen stayed by the food wagon until his corps leaders got him to his feet and helped him back to camp. In the morning, 
The cooks rang four after on the mess bells to wake the camp. Keo's corps didn't have either of the camp cleanup duties and would be free to strike camp and join the parade as soon as they stowed their gear on the pack wagons in the staging area. Keo rolled from his cot and pulled on his tunic, heading for the tent flap before his eyes were completely open. The stars of the early morning sky shifted dizzily as he looked up, a sudden sharp pain in the back of his head reminding him of the previous night's encounter. Did that boy crack my skull? Keo wondered. He'd expected to feel completely restored by morning. He ran up and down the rows of tents, clapping his hands and hurrying everyone up. Link leader Oakley poked her head out from her tent, her hair as black as any other in the dark of the moonless morning. Corps leader Noshani, I see what you're after. You want to be first in the parade today. Are you trying to make a point or to save face? I think both. I think if they believe they can push me around, I will lose even more respect. Maybe not so much from my corps, or from Lieutenant Hitchmaker, but from the rest of those spoiled designate thirds. If I lose their respect, they will all feel like they can walk all over me, and the rest of us non-designates. Morden Farnding became my friend, and I think he even respected me. But I know he still thinks of those who rode down from the southern draw as not worth much more than dirt. Yeah, I think I'm trying to make a point, that they aren't going to walk all over me or any other non-D. They can punch me silly every night, and I'm not going to give them an inch, let alone our spot in the parade. Just as long as we're clear on that, she said, her teeth reflecting starlight in a wide smile, which seemed to appear out of nowhere from her tiny mouth. Thank you, Leader Oakley. Let's go eat so we can get a jump on the day and whatever surprises it holds. The sun had just peaked above the horizon. Looking to the east, Keo imagined the Midland Swamp hidden by the distance and the impenetrable mountains far beyond, no longer visible as they had been from his home. The last of the corps marched into the staging area. Corps leader Oakley stood at the head of her link, while Corps leader Beecham walked toward him. Oh, you poor thing, Beecham said, walking around behind Keo to examine his head. She placed one hand on his shoulder, went up on tiptoes, and brushed her fingertips across the back of his head. Keo enjoyed her attention, though the cut stung as she loosened the newly forming scab. She made a low whistle and asked, Does that hurt? No, Keo said, not really, unless I forget and scratch it. Behind them, Corps Leader Oakley snapped to attention and called, Corps, attention! Good morning, Lieutenant Hitchmaker. Keo spun around and came to attention and nodded his head in salute. Stand at ease, Corps Leader Noshani. Come with me, the lieutenant said, and walked into the calf-high grass along the highway, away from the corps forming there. When he stopped and turned, Keo reassumed the position of attention. I told you to stand at ease, he said, sounding very annoyed. Yes, sir, Keo said, and relaxed his stance. Is there something you wish to tell me, Noshani? No, sir, Keo said. Are you aware fighting is an offense punishable by incarceration? Or, in the case of leaders involved in or condoning a fight, they may be demoted to regular soldiers or trainees in this case? Yes, sir, Keo said again. Is there still nothing you wish to tell me, Noshani? Even less, sir. If I was to tell you I was in a fight or condoning one, 
That would be admitting to something which could cause my demotion. I don't want that. Then why don't you tell me about how you got that lump on the back of your head? Keo sighed and said, I don't know how I got it. It was kind of a surprise. It may have been from a rock or a branch. I never found out the offending item. When it happened, I was interacting with a fist, which was attempting to break my nose. Who taught you to talk like that, Noshani? My mother. She insisted I read a lot of books during the winter, when we had nothing to do on the ranch. Can you identify whose fist attempted to break your nose? Keo nodded. Yes, sir, though I prefer not to say. It may only antagonize him into trying again. The lieutenant's face turned dark red and his eye twitched when he said, Corps Leader Noshani, I'm giving you a direct order to tell me who attacked you last night. Corps Leader Vangold, sir. Why? the lieutenant asked. To discourage me from getting into line ahead of any of the designate thirds. It looks to me, Noshani, from how your corps is already formed up and ready to lead the parade, you intend to ignore his discouragement. Absolutely, sir. I suggest, then, you hurry back up there, or you'll lose your place at the head, Hitchmaker said. Wait. Should anyone attack you again, or threaten you, I want to hear it from your mouth before I see it growing on top of your head. Yes, sir, Keo said, and hurried toward his corps, shouting, Corps! Form to attention! Advance to the parade! Keo counted a cadence as they marched onto the highway, ahead of everyone else. As was his habit, Kia watched his corps pass through the food line, noting each as he would his sheep or cows as they fed, if any of them appeared to be out of the ordinary. He looked at their posture and motions. Were they lethargic? Did their hands shake as they held out their plate? Everyone looked as healthy as any 15-year-old who had been marching for 10 days. He rubbed the back of his head. All that was left of the injury was a narrow line of skin, where the hair had yet to grow back. You want to play children's games, do you? Vangel's familiar voice droned from behind him. Not really, Kyo said. Do you? No, if you haven't noticed, the game I play is more serious than that, and little kids would get hurt. You don't want to get hurt, do you? Are you aware, if an officer strikes another officer, that officer may be punished with incarceration and demoted to the lowest regular grade? Do you think I'm stupid? Vangold growled. I'm beginning to think so, Keo said. It's not as if I can go into a tavern, fall in among the wrong crowd, and get beaten up for my tick sack. There are only so many people here, Storgant, and few of them would do something so drastic as hit a corps leader. Lieutenant Hitchmaker isn't stupid either. He knows one of you hit me from behind. If anything happens to me again, he will know who to talk to. Maybe nothing will happen to you. Maybe someone else will have an accident. Step in the wrong direction. Maybe put her hand somewhere she shouldn't. You're a pig, Storgant. You're a designate's pig. You watch how you talk about designates. You insult one, you insult us all, Storgant growled with narrowed eyes. 
I'm insulting you, not your designate, Keo said, crossing his arms and rolling his eyes. Besides, owning pigs isn't an insult. I'm sure your designate isn't the only one who owns some. You've asked for it now, Noshani. Watch your back, Vangold stomped away. After Lieutenant Hitchmaker had dismissed the corps from the evening assembly to clean up and bed down, Keo held his corps in formation until the commanders and others had gone. Link leaders, remain here for a moment. The rest of you are dismissed to get ready for sleep. When he was sure no unwanted ears were near, Keo told them, Vangel threatened me again. He told me to watch my back, but someone else could have an accident or maybe put her hand where it shouldn't be. I think he has one of you girls singled out, and I wouldn't be surprised if he came after you, Beecham. Me? Why me? she asked, clearly startled. Because I saw him watching you the other day, when you were looking at the lump on my head. He's the kind that wants to hurt as much as possible when he can, and maybe he thinks we have something going on. We have something going on? Who thinks that? You don't think that, do you? Beecham looked around. Me? No, not nearly as much as I want to. But if Storgan thinks that, then maybe you're a serious target. Now, all of you, keep a close eye on your links, an even closer eye on each other. Don't tell them who or what, but tell the guards you've been told someone may try to sneak into camp tonight. So they should be extra vigilant. Now get to work. Keo headed toward his own tent. He stopped to listen when he heard Beecham ask Bree, did he say he wants to have something going on with me? That's what I heard, Bree said. But from what I've learned over the last few years, you can't always trust what a boy says. They're sneaky, and will try to leaven the dough with smiles and winks and then show up for a free loaf of bread hot out of the oven with butter and honey on it. They'll what? Beecham asked. Come on, Drea. Bree took the other girl by the arm. I'll explain as we walk. Kia watched them walk into the darkness. He would love to have something going on with her, just right now he felt any relationship would be a liability to them both. He slept on the ground in the moon shadow of his tent, mostly awake through the night, watching for invaders. None came that evening, and the morning progressed normally. His corps had serving and clean-up duty for that day, and they followed their established routine, to clean up and get into formation as quickly as possible. By twos and threes, their corps fell into formation, with only a few members still to arrive, when Keo noticed something abnormal. One of the girls in the third rank, one of Link Leader Stankner's trainees, looked wrong. She leaned to her right with her shoulder drawn up toward her neck. Her face was pale and her eyes were sunken. Stankner, Oakley, to the front, Keo called. They hurried to stand at attention before him. Stick, there's a girl in your link. Meldine Clanchette. She doesn't look good. Would both of you go talk to her and determine if she needs help and best how to do it? The two link leaders spoke with Clanchette for several long minutes. The corps was complete before they had finished talking to her. They looked at her hand. Meldine's face had turned red and tears ran down her cheeks. Stankner put a hand on her back and walked her out of the formation and back toward the wagons. Oakley came back to Keo. Her set face, in fierceness, was a far different sight than her perpetually smiling eyes. She said she was working on the serving line, 
most everyone had passed through, there was no one around when somebody or some bodies grabbed her. One covered her mouth and held her arm, while the other took her hand and shoved it into a pot of scalding water. They held it there until they finished telling her it was your fault, because you wouldn't stay in your place. They told her if she told you, they would find her and make it worse. Keo growled, clenched his fists at his sides, and turned his back on the core. They shouldn't see him act like this. It's my fault because I'm so stupid. Of course they would attack during breakfast. They don't want us to be in the parade order near the front. If they send one of us to the healer's wagon, we'll all be the last in line. Do you care more about your position in line than you do about your core member? Oakley asked. Indignation pinched her voice. Keo looked at her as if she had spoken an unknown language. What? No, of course not. I care most that my stupidity caused Meldine pain. We won't only lose a good place in the parade. We're all going to march down there and wait for her hand to be tended with salve and bandaged. Maybe those rotting terps will be happy with us and leave us alone in the future, though I doubt they will consider it payment enough. Oakley's eyes went wide. Core leader, your language. Her remark shocked Keo back to the present, and he looked at the core to see if any were close enough to have heard his curse. Sorry, Oakley. I lost control. I'll try to do better. Fall back in, and thank you for your support. Keo stood to attention and called, Core, form, attention. When they all faced forward, with arms rigid, knuckles to their thighs, Keo stepped close to the front rank and said, just loud enough to carry to the four corners of the formation. Boys and girls, we've been attacked. One of our corps was viciously and cruelly assaulted, and an assault on one is an assault on all of us. We must all remember, above everything else, we are a military corps. We don't know who our enemy is. It may be two people, a corps, or the rest of the entire battalion. From here on out, until we identify the enemy... I want none of you to be alone, day or night. One will stand guard over the other. When you are on the serving line, another will stand and watch all who approach. If you are on latrine duty, there will be three of you instead of two. If you get up to piss in the night, you will wake someone to go and piss with you. Do you understand? They responded with the appropriate, Yes, Corps leader. We will now go to the healer's wagon and wait for our injured companion. Keo said, stepped back two paces, came to attention, and called, Serpentine, reverse, march. The links intertwined like four snakes and reversed the direction of the corps and continued their march to the healer's wagon. When the corps arrived to wait for Clanchette, the healer had just begun to dress the injured hand. While we're waiting, I want to teach you a new way to march, Keo said, and demonstrated it for them. He then brought out four of the trainees and had them practice as he gave them the commands. When they had it right every time, they rejoined the corps, who had watched intently. Clanchette returned to her place, and Keo led the corps back to the parade ground. They wanted to slow us down and make us last. Well, we'll give them what they want, Keo said. They were marching toward the parade at a steady pace, but when they were a hundred yards off, he turned around and shouted, on my command, slow, step, march. The corps changed from their regular quick-time pace to one-fourth speed. The final 100 yards took an inordinate amount of time, 
and they eventually arrived in their place at the back of the parade, with the entire battalion waiting for them. When he called, Corps, halt, and returned to face the rest of the battalion, Lieutenant Hitchmaker was there, his face as bright red as Keo's tunic. Corps Leader Noshani, what is the meaning of this? The lieutenant shouted into Keo's face. Sir, one of our members was being seen at the healer's wagon, which made us late for parade formation. It won't happen again. Keo barked the response, but added for only the lieutenant. Probably. The lieutenant's eyes nearly bugged out of his head. Keo hated to do it to him, but felt he needed to draw enough attention that the incident wouldn't be overlooked. And what exactly was the nature of your display as you arrived? Sir, we used our time waiting for our companion by refining our skills at precision marching, Keo said, and dropped his voice again to say, There are some who want us to be last. I don't want to let them down. We will speak when we break for lunch, Hitchmaker said and stormed away. During their first break that morning, Keo met with his link leaders to discuss how to make their camp more secure. Bree Oakley asked before he had a chance to open the discussion, The lieutenant looked really angry. What do you think he's going to do? I don't know. Maybe he'll replace me as corps leader. Then I'll be free to... Keo stopped and looked around at his potential replacements. He thought better about announcing any planned insubordination and said instead, It really doesn't matter. What will happen will happen, and it will work out for the best. What's that supposed to mean, Keo? One of my link has her hand in a bandage because of you, and that doesn't matter? Stankner asked. No, I'm sorry. That does matter, and I'm sorry I was too blind to see it coming. What doesn't matter is what the lieutenant does. I have a destiny to fulfill. What that is, I don't know, but it's going to happen somehow. Sometimes I do things, like this slow march thing we did. I don't know why I did that, but I really feel it was the right thing to do. Sometimes I either don't know what to do, or know that I can do one of many things, and it will all turn out like it's supposed to. How can you know that? Stankner persisted. I don't know how I know, but I have known it for years, Keo said. Sometimes I forget to pay attention, and it carries me along anyway. Like Morden Farnding, I never would have chosen to travel with him. So many things fell into place because he was with me. Not the least of it was him saving my life and getting me this sword. They all stopped and looked up when they heard a staccato whistle from the head of the parade. Cor, form up, Keo called, and everyone gathered into formation. When the parade broke for lunch and the food wagons rolled up, Keo walked off to the side of the road, 20 yards, and watched his corps get to work on the lunch line. As he had asked, for every worker, another corps member watched their back. He doubted Storgant would make a second move this soon. He wasn't that stupid. But he wanted to make a display of being vigilant. Now, Corps Leader Noshani, I need information. The lieutenant walked up and waited while Keo saluted. Stand at ease and tell me, so that I may pass on to our battalion commander, what was the nature of the injury that the entire corps had to wait at the healer's wagon? Lieutenant Hitchmaker, the nature of the injury was an attack on our entire corps, and as such, I felt we all needed to be there to support the one corps member who took the brunt of that attack. 
You've been working on that response all morning, haven't you, Noshani? Well, part of it. You're right, Keo said, his eyes still on his core, working the serving line. I've been thinking about this for the length of the morning march. May I speak candidly, Lieutenant? Where do you come up with these lines? Hitchmaker asked. Keo looked at the officer in the eyes and said, I told you, I read a lot, but with all due respect, Lieutenant, you don't know anything about me and about what I have to do. You're right, Noshani. I don't know what you're supposed to do, so if you have a plan, why don't you fill me in? I'll do that, but I don't know yet what I'm supposed to do. I have a destiny, and that lies in the training camp. I'm going to do great things, but I have to be there to do it. You're awfully confident about that, but awfully vague as well. Lieutenant, I appreciate your confusion. I was surprised at first myself, but I've seen it all unfolding. Okay, Keo said, rubbing his hands as he gathered his thoughts. Let me tell you this. When I was five years old, only five, a little kid, I spoke to a tiger hawk. You're not supposed to be able to do that, but I did. This little boy. I reached out my hand and told it to come to me, and it laid its chin in my hand. The person who was companion to the tiger hawk put her hand on my head and said, Keo, you are destined to do important things in your life. Keo held up his hands for emphasis and said, Every day of my life, since I was five years old, I've known that I was destined to do important things. Every single day since I was five years old, I have prepared myself to be ready for whatever that destiny would be. I exercised, I read works of literature, I studied mathematics and geometry, I studied geography and our country's history, and I learned about animals, their care, their societies, and their communication. I've prepared myself for destiny, so that when I have to make a decision about whether I should tell you that some stooges of Storgant Vangled brutalized one of my core members and scalded her hand in hot water, or not to tell you, I know that what I do will be the best for the situation and the best for me in preparation to accept my destiny. Okay, core leader Noshani, you've convinced me. You've convinced me you are either extremely confident or completely insane. I will tell Major Jurelian that a member of your corps was attacked in an effort to discourage you from competing in the parade order. We don't know who would do that, or if it is even possible that they did, but for now, we will watch and see what comes of this. The lieutenant turned away. Lieutenant Hitchmaker, wait, Keo called. When the officer turned, his eyebrows raised in question, Keo said, I... We will not roll over and play dead. We will continue to compete for the first parade slot every day. I just thought you should know that. Yes, Corps Leader, the lieutenant said. Carry on. Thank you for listening to the Pariah Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like more, stop by my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Norville Joe and see how you can help me produce these episodes and earn some bonuses for yourself at the same time. If you could help me out by going to iTunes and leaving a review, I'd love you for the rest of my life. Any kind of feedback to an author, producer is more sustaining than food and water. 
If you'd like to know what else I've written, or am writing, stop by my website at norvaljoe.com or like my Facebook page at facebook.com slash philipcarrollauthor. Philip with one L, Carol with two R's and two L's. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.